Thank you for joining us today for the Oakwood Baptist Church podcast. This episode was recorded at the Home Builder Sunday School class, which Pastor Jones teaches at Oakwood. The lessons are taken from the book, The Ministry of Marriage by Jim Benny. Uh, so we've been reading Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. The Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So we've kind of honed in on that expression, the rudiments of the world. And again, that, that's a, um, maybe a verbose way to put things. I know we, we wouldn't so much talk like that to one another. Rudiments is not a word that we use regularly, but it basically just means the basics. So he's basically saying the basic beliefs of the world, you know, the world system. Everybody understands in this class with the concept of the world, you got, you know, for God so loved the world, we're talking about humanity, you could talk about world creation. Those are ways that the Bible emphasizes the word world or uses that word in the Bible. But there's also the world we're talking about I like to put it this way, society without, that, that exists without God. Um, the, 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 I, I often define it this way, whatever is actively hostile or passively harmful to God and His causes would be the world. And so there's a system in this world in which we live in that it doesn't factor into God, doesn't really believe Bible principles. And so this is the basics of of the world. And he says, listen, you have to beware of that. Otherwise, it'll spoil you. It'll ruin you. And we've been talking about how there are common myths that people believe about marriage. And because they have believed these rudiments of the world, these basic beliefs of the world that we live in, it spoiled them. And I don't mean spoiled in like you spoil your grandkids. I'm talking about it's ruined them. It's like you would say that in your refrigerator. You go get some leftovers and you open up the container. You go, ooh, that's spoiled. Or uh, you, you, you get your bowl of cocoa pebbles and you're excited about this and you go and pour the milk in and it plops out. It's spoiled. Yeah, exactly. All right. So you're talking about being spoiled. The world will ruin you. It'll ruin your marriage. It'll, it'll affect it negatively. That's what we're saying. So we've kind of talked about several myths. We've talked about... Uh, last time we were together, we talked about the myth that love is all you need. And in fact, uh, the next time we meet together, of course, next Sunday, we'll be in the auditorium combined. But the next time we meet, we'll, we'll talk about uh, some fibs about feelings. And we'll kind of um, be somewhat similar to what we were talking about. But move on, just specifically talk about five fibs about feelings. Uh, but here's the last and final myth. I married the wrong person. Uh, that's a myth, and I, I want to talk about that in, in a little bit of a detail today. Um, I would imagine you, you've heard that for sure. Uh, we're talking about the basic beliefs of the world. You, you've heard that in the world. I married, man, I, what, what if I married the wrong person? I think I married the wrong person. I would dare say, now I don't know that in this kind of context that maybe we would say this out loud, or maybe we've never vocalized this, but I... I would probably believe that in this room, at least someone has at some point asked themselves this question, did I marry the right person? I'm even in here. Um, and so I want to talk about that myth that I married the wrong person. This is a common complaint among married people. Now, 
let's ask the question, where does this thinking originate? Why do so many couples come up with this, this idea, I married the wrong person? I think, in some ways, Christianity is to blame on this, at least in our context. Um, I think it seems to start in the teen years. I think maybe if you're like me and you grew up in church, I've, I've heard preaching like this, and I imagine you have too, some well-intentioned pastor, maybe a youth director, a camp speaker, maybe even a parent, they, they warn uh, their teenagers in a well-intentioned way, you know, God has one person for you in this world. It's kind of like Adam and Eve, you know, Adam, he, Adam was there and boy, God had Eve for him. And your Eve is out there somewhere, your Adam is out, out, out there somewhere. Now, I, again, God has just one person for you. How many of you have heard some camp speaker, pastor, parent, somebody kind of, kind of teach that idea before? Okay, let, let's think about the consequences. Remember, ideas have consequences. Let's think about the consequence of that. There are 8 billion people in this world. That's a lot of people. And you might be 14 years old sitting in said teen camp thinking, where is she? Now, I mean, think about this tonight. My wife grew up in Alaska. I grew up in Ohio. That's a long ways from each other. We met in Tennessee. What are the chances? We now live in South Carolina. That's a convoluted web there, right? I mean, man, there's just one person out there. She's, she's out there. He's out there somewhere. You know, 81% of Christian college students believe that God has one particular person for each one to marry. And 41% think that happiness in marriage is mainly dependent upon marrying the right person. So again, let's think about the consequences of this idea. If your mate is the basis of your happiness, when they fail to make you happy, or they cause you pain, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny here, because of the nature of the marriage relationship, because of how close it brings you in contact with a human being, because of the vulnerability of marriage, you understand it has the potential for, for happiness in ways no other relationship has the potential for. And it has the potential for pain in ways that no other relationship has. So if your mate is not making you happy, or even worse, they're causing you pain, it's easy to come to the conclusion, oh man, I got the wrong one. That's a lot of pressure. Like, here's some dangerous conclusions. Here's what happens because, again, some well-intentioned parent, pastor, youth speaker, whatever. Here's the, here's the ideas have consequences. Here's some of the dangerous consequences, dangerous conclusions. The problem is, number one, finding the right person becomes the focus rather than being the right person. I think that that's an unintended consequence. Listen, think about it. When you're 14, or you're 13, 14, 15, 16, again, I'm going to say more about this in this lesson. I'm also going to preach a message on this before not too long about teenage dating. I think your teenage years should be a time of season in your life where you are focusing on, get, on, on building your character. Like, what better time? Like, you, know, you don't have to worry about paying your bills. You don't have to worry about the pressures of life in a lot of ways. Does your parents take care of that? Worry about building your character being the right kind of person. But instead, we're 
scouting it out, you know, trying to find this one person in the haystack of 8 billion people. Number two, it places all future happiness on a single decision. Now listen, everybody in this room understands that, you know, our life is a summation of our decisions. And, and truth be told, you're not going to make a whole lot of major decisions in your lifetime. I mean, I'm talking about like major decisions. I mean, I think you're maybe going to make like 10 major decisions in your lifetime. Uh, but one of them we would agree at the top of the list. I mean, maybe, maybe the top of the list. I mean, I think if we're, we're, if we're talking about major ramifications, I think your salvation decision would be the number one decision on top of your list. But right after that is probably marriage. I mean, that, that is very significant, very major decision, right? And, and so if, if we're being told that, that our, our happiness depends upon this one person and finding this one person, man, that places like basically I'm either going to be happy or miserable on this one decision in my my whole life and that that's a lot of pressure that's a lot of pressure uh, number three it forgets that life has changes life has a lot of changes listen I'm 46 as you know I am not I am not the same person I was at 26 I've changed. Now, I know some people like to say, I'm always the same. I haven't changed. I mean, I'm the same. No, no, no person is the same person as they were 20 years apart. None. No one will be the same person. Why? Life has a lot of tests, has a lot of trials, has a lot of pressures. And you have to respond to those things. And those things do something to you. I just read in my devotions this morning in Romans chapter 5, it, it talks about patience uh, works experience, and experience works hope. And, and it, well, tribulation works patience. Uh, I skipped that one. Tribulation works patience. We've all been through some form of tribulation, a test, a trial, a burden in your life, and it, and it brought patience. That's why, personally, I, don't, I can't recall praying for patience. I don't, I don't want trouble. God, God, give me some patience. All right, you asked for it. Tribulation works patience, but then patience works experience. That's why somebody says, well, listen, I, that's why somebody can look at you and say, listen, I, I know it's hard for you to believe right now, but it will get better. How does somebody know that? They've been through that trial. They've got that patience of going through it, and they, they're standing here with experience. And that's why they can tell you, hey, it'll get better. Trust me, it'll get better. Why? Because their experience brings hope in their life. And because we've been through these things, it's changed us. It's, it's impacted us. It's, it's affected us maybe in a negative way and made us bitter. Or it's affected us in a positive way and, and, and made us better. And, and, and I think sometimes we, we are married for 10 years or so and, and, and we say, well, oh man, I think I married the wrong person. And we don't realize, hey, listen, both of you have changed over 10 years in a variety of ways. It has nothing to do with you married the wrong person. It has everything to do with life happened. Okay, number four. It denies your own personal responsibility in the marriage. Again, to love your wife as Christ loved the church doesn't mean you are merely to love the lovely or the lovable or the loving. You're supposed to love. And... 
you know, the same could conversely be said to wives towards husbands and stuff like that. Again, we're just coming to bad conclusions with this idea. So, I, is it really possible to marry the wrong person? I, I, want you to, I want you to consider these facts. One, are we thinking about God right? Again, this, this Bible right here, if we want to define it, I think that this is, a, this is a good definition for the Bible. I like to say it this way. It's God's revelation of himself to man. Okay, this is what God wanted us to know about him. And this is what he gave us. This is not exhaustive. The Bible even tells us that his, you never can search the depths of who God is. But this is what God wants us to know about him. And we can oftentimes think incorrectly about God if we're not careful. I mean, you get in a conversation at work, it's very possible you're going to hear somebody say, well, I always thought that God was, you know, and they start talking about God. And I, I made this quote, I might not get it verbatim because I don't have it in front of me here, but I was preaching on Wednesday night, and we were talking about the incarnation of God, and John MacArthur gave a quote, and he said this, basically, the wrong idea about God is as damnable, uh, the wrong belief about God is as damnable as no belief in Jesus. Wrong. It was something along those lines. And think about it. If I think incorrectly about Jesus or who he was and what he did for salvation, you know, that, that can put me in, in, a, in a damnable situation as much as just choosing not to believe in him at all. And, you know, sometimes we as believers, we, we believe correctly about who Jesus was and what Jesus did and we're saved. I'm not, I'm not throwing shade on that. But I'm saying even as believers, sometimes we can get wrong ideas like the rudiments of the world and think incorrectly about God. It's, it's possible. So if, here's, think about this. If you're married to the wrong person, then let's follow again these conclusions. Uh, do I accept the fact that I'm living in sin? Like I, I, I married the wrong person. This was my mistake. Therefore, I'm in sin. And so the reason I'm unhappy is because I'm living out the consequences of that sin. And so basically, am I in a situation, am I in a state of sin because marriage is to be permanent, uh, that there's no means of correction or closure to that? Again, I'm just throwing out some ideas here. I was preaching in the prison once. Um, I used to preach in the prison on a regular basis. I was preaching in a prison, a guy got saved. And uh, this guy raised his hand after he had gotten saved. We'd gone through some discipleship. He had faithfully attended and so forth. And he said, I got a question for you, preacher man. He said, uh, you know, I, I was married before and you know, I was running around doing a lot of bad stuff and got divorced. And, and now I'm remarried again uh, to another lady. And here, here I'm in, in jail. But he said, but I got saved. And I know I'm saved. He goes, well, my life has changed. He said, I want to do it God's way. I'm tired of doing it my way. So I want to do it God's way. He said, let me ask you a question, preacher. He said, should I divorce my, my wife now and go back and marry my first wife? How many of you would agree with me? Sin complicates things. Yeah. You say, well, man, what would you tell him? That's a tough question, isn't it? What would I tell him? Well, I told him, no, you know, this is what it is now, right? You, you can't undo what's been done in the past. You can only deal with what's been done today. Um, so uh, that, that's what I told him. 
Again, this idea, if an act of sin can be confessed and forgiven, it's not possible for a state of sin to exist once the sin has been cleansed. And so, you know, if we've made mistakes, you confess that. It's done, but you deal with what is today. You deal with what is today. And that's what God does. Aren't you thankful that God takes us where we are? I'm thankful for that. He takes us as we are and where we are. But here's the problem with modern Christianity in a lot of ways. Is they say, oh, God, ta- God takes our broken pieces. And God takes us where we are. And God, God, oh, God meets us where we are. But listen, that's wrong thinking about God because it's incomplete. God doesn't leave us where we are. God wants to do something with us. So I'm all for the idea we're broken people and God takes us in our mess. Man, I've worshipped God on multiple times individually that God is very good. God is very good at fixing what I broke. And He's very good at cleaning up my messes. And I'm thankful for that. But I'm just telling you, He's also my Heavenly Father. He doesn't leave me like that. He will tan my hide, spiritually speaking. He will deal with me. Why? Because he doesn't want me to stay like that. And, and, and again, I'm just, I'm just talking about a lot of this stuff because, again, if, if I'm married, then, then listen, if you believe in the Holy Spirit of God and the grace of God, then God can take whatever bad situation you're in and he can change it. He can change it. Uh, here's another thought that I think People think about it. Is it really possible to marry the wrong person? Sometimes people think it's just God's punishing me. I married the wrong person. God's punished me. Or, or how about this one? It's God's fault. You know, I prayed to marry the right person. And uh, apparently I didn't. So God let me down. I think it's the wrong thinking about God here too. God can't bring good out of mistakes. I just talked about that. God is really good at fixing what we broke. He's really good at cleaning up our messes. I think one of the, one of the most overlooked qualities of God is His power to bring something good out of something bad. Don't you love Genesis 50, 20? Ye thought it evil unto me, but God meant it unto good. Remember Joseph saying that to his brothers? He didn't let them off the hook. He called their sin what it was. You intended trouble towards me. What you did was wrong and it was evil. But God, God did something good with the bad that you did. And I think everybody in this room, we could go around the room and we could talk about something bad that happened in our life. Hey, some of you could probably talk about your your marriage relationship. Like we went through something that was bad. It was evil. It was wrong. It was trouble. We went through that. But I can tell you this, that when we came through on the other side, it was better because of God's grace, because of God working, because God is able to do what he is only able to do. Let's, let's give a biblical example of what I'm talking about. David and Bathsheba. I think we would all agree that whole situation started off on a very bad foot. David was already married, already had multiple wives, which was... Again, study your Bible. Anytime you got a multiple, the polygamous relationship going on, trouble. Why? You're not doing things the way God wants you to do it. And again, I'm not, listen, I know we have people who have been divorced or remarried right here in this room. I'm not attacking anybody. I'm not at all. 
But I think you would agree with me by saying this. Again, we're just talking about real things here. Just like polygamy, I know it's not exactly the same thing. Not exactly the same thing. But it causes complications. It, it does. What do we now do at Christmas? What do we do with our kids? What do we do on this weekend and that weekend? And whose rules and these rules? It causes complications. Well, that, that happened in the Bible. The, David should have never been doing what he was doing. He lusts after this woman. He acts upon his lust. You, you know the whole story. We would agree. This, everything about this, everything about this is bad. But God worked something good from that. Somebody tell me a couple of things that happened good from that relationship. God wasn't for it, but God worked something good out of it. What are some things? Okay, so Solomon came on the scene. Anybody benefited from Solomon's ministry? Anybody in here? Anybody in here? I, I sure have. The Proverbs, pretty, pretty fantastic, right? Even Ecclesiastes, who I doubt somebody would say, that's my favorite book of the Bible. But isn't, isn't it? I mean, what a great book. I mean, you got this guy. He's basically saying, hey, look, guys, you don't have to go over Fool's Hill. Take it from me. I've gone over Fool's Hill. Don't do it. It's, it's vain. It's not worth it. Just go back to the book of Proverbs. Live that way. Trust me. Right? I mean, it's a blessing. Can, can, we, can we think of anything else? The Psalms. A lot of the Psalms were birthed out of that. I'm thinking long term. How about the Messiah? Like all that stuff worked out through all of that, man. Like, like this, this was a huge, huge deal. If there was ever a marriage that started out wrong, it was this one. It was born out of lust, adultery, murder, and deception. But God brought the Messiah through their descendants? Wow. I guess let's just close on this, and I'm closing a few minutes early. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But actually, I've had like two lessons, and we've been doing this for like seven weeks, so <laughs> I don't know how much early I'm letting you out, right? Um, let me just put this down to, for you. Whomever you are married is the right person for you. Or I could put it this way. The person to whom you are married now is the person to whom you are supposed to be married. Can't do anything about the past. You can only do something about today. And we need to be working on the relationship that we have today. Work on it. Build it. Be what you ought to be. By the grace of God and the Holy Spirit of God working in your life, do what you ought to do for that relationship. Listen, one of the reasons our culture... Is, is doing what it's doing is they're constantly looking over the fence at the greener grass somewhere else because instead of dealing with their troubles, dealing with their issues, doing what they're supposed to do, they're constantly doing this. And listen, you, you, you got to get that, that. That's a rudiment of the world. You got to stop that. That those kind of thoughts should not be entertained. It's wrong thinking. OK, so those are some some philosophies that we some myths about marriage that we wanted to bust. Again, next Sunday, combined Sunday school in the auditorium with our missions conference going on. But when we get back together, we're going to talk about five uh, fibs about uh, feelings. Because there's a lot of people that, again, they think incorrectly. And we've talked about it a little bit, think incorrectly about love. And we, we want to think biblically about that because love is such an important part of our marriage relationship. Okay.